All right, everybody, welcome back to the show. I'm glad to be with you, and hopefully, while you're listening to this, I will just be getting back from New Mexico, uh, recovering, Lord willing, from some heavy pack outs and getting some awesome footage for Elk Shape. Um, but anyway, um, as you listen to this, I hope you guys uh, get a lot out of this episode. Today, I sit down with Mark Smith, aka the Muley Slayer. So, yeah, he's on Instagram as Muley Slayer One. And uh, he's a really awesome guy. Uh, he's been a lo- around the industry a long time. Um, you know, you might have heard him on the Gritty podcast, or um, I'm not sure if he's been on the Kafaro cast or not, but I know he knows those guys. And um, he's been kind of in the archery, uh, mule deer, even traditional archery world for a while. So he's very knowledgeable um, about the industry and about killing big mule deer as his uh, Instagram handle suggests. So uh, he's also a believer and a man of faith and a family man. So I really enjoyed talking to him. Uh, he's a great guy, really friendly, easy to talk to. And uh, yeah, this is an interesting conversation um, that we get into a lot of stuff we normally get to on this podcast, you know, uh, fitness, faith, um, killing big mule deer. Um, and so anyway, it's just a great episode all around. I hope you guys enjoy it. hope it gets you pumped up if you're uh, about to head out for a mule deer hunt or you got something lined up later um, or you're heading out for one as you listen to this even. So um, anyway, guys, I hope you enjoy the episode. Please leave me a rating and review if you get a chance. Um, if you do so, whenever I get back and things settle down, I'm going to go back through my reviews. If you leave me a written review, I'll give you a shout out on the next episode and I'll send out some more decals for you guys um, who are leaving me reviews. That's really helpful. Again, I just want to mention the YouTube channel. Please go ahead and subscribe if you haven't already. Just search my name, Hunter McWaters on YouTube. Um, I got some gear dumps on there. All the podcasts are on there, some extra videos. And of course, all my hunts from this fall will be eventually making it on there. Also, uh, I forgot to mention last week, but my new website should be live as you're listening to this, which is huntermcwaters.com. It's going to be kind of more of a hub for all the projects I got going, you know, this book I'm working on, the podcast, the films, um, and some other exciting projects coming out. So um, I've, you know, actually gotten some professional help on it this time, not just a lame Wix website. <laughs> so, um, go check it out, huntermcwaters.com and, um, and, uh, sign up uh, if for the newsletter that's on there, if that's live, if not, just check it out. And, um, yeah, looking forward to seeing you guys soon. Hope you enjoy this episode. Hope y'all's hunting season is going well. And, uh, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll see you guys in the next one. So I'm sitting here with my guest today, who is the infamous Muley Slayer, Mark Smith. How you doing, man? Doing good, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and I see you got, um, I was talking earlier about your impressive trophies back there. You got a lot of velvet bucks I'm noticing, too. Yeah, this is the entryway into my home. This is oh, where most of, most of my, uh, well, a, a lot of my treasures are in here, but these are almost all bow kills in here. There's, I think there's 30 or 20. I think there's 26 in this room and these are archery kills. And then in uh, a couple other rooms, my big, my biggest hard horn mule deer in the living room. And then I have a workout room. That's my actual home office has a bunch of whitetails in it. So, oh, nice, man. <laughs> I'm working on an expansion. And when we get the expansion, all 
all of the heads will go out in that one area. So oh, that's got, super cool about it. But so you're <laughs> displaying the mule deer, but you're hiding all your whitetails because you're ashamed of them, huh? Uh, no, <laughs> actually, man, I have a super, I have a super special secret feelings place in my spirit for whitetails, and they're in there where I work all okay. day long. So believe it or not. So okay. Um. So actually, just this is kind of a random question that's popped up when I saw your mounts because I'm going to Kodiak in August, and I think there's a good chance that the deer are still be in velvet. So how how does that work? With I've never gotten a deer mounted in velvet. How do you keep it? And like, how does that all work? Well, because uh, I've always hunted in close proximity to, other than a couple of deep deep wilderness hunts, most of my hunts have been a day's hike from the vehicle. Okay. So once I got an early season buck down, and it was very early, say the, you know the last two weeks of August, they're still pretty meaty, still a lot of blood in there. They're still yeah. they're still in that final growing stage. Um, I'm able to get them out within a day and get them in a freezer. Okay. To a taxidermist or in a freezer, and once you freeze them, you know then let him have it take over. Now I did kill a, a small buck, but he was pretty bulby a lot of blood in him in the in a wilderness area in nevada a few years ago and actually yeah. the boys i was hunting with their grandpa's a taxidermist oh, and okay. he sent us with a bunch of syringes in a vial of um, formaldehyde okay so when we got that deer back to the truck we were able to shoot uh formaldehyde into the veins hmm. and that kept that one because it was we were a few days from home on that one so yeah. if i was going to kodiak i would definitely check airlines specifically see if i can fly that stuff but i would go to a local taxidermist get some syringes and i would get some um uh formaldehyde and i would okay. definitely take that shoot them up there's a product i saw recently on instagram called like velvet lock or something have you heard of that i, I think i've heard of it but i've never researched it okay but i have heard of it yeah i might try that or yeah maybe grab some from my uh, taxidermist oh. but um yeah man so anyway that's just the question i had but um how was your uh, 2020 hunting season? 2020 was super good. I only had, um, so. Wait, wait I'm sorry, out, really quick. Before we jump into that, just for people yeah. who may not know you, uh, why don't you yeah. give us a real quick just background, who you are, all that good stuff. Quick bio. All right. Okay. Mark Smith, uh, a natural born Texan. <laughs> I, through the grace of God, I was able to move out west and just master i i'm still mastering but i at the time i felt like i'd mastered the craft of bow hunting and tournament archery uh living out west in new mexico and colorado is where i started mule deer hunting and i learned to just hunt public lands i hunted mule deer elk antelope sheep all all the western big game all over the southwest united states colorado new mexico arizona um, P a lot of, a lot of people, a younger generation may not know me, but all the Gen X guys, my age approaching 50, they would have read my articles in bow and arrow magazine, bow Hunter yeah. magazine, Eastman's I had a huge start. A lot of Cameron Haynes is a close friend of mine. And he, one of the very first articles he ever, a lot of people don't realize Cameron was the editor of Eastman's bow hunting mm. back in 2000, 2001, he started that job. That's where he got his break in. He broke into the hunting industry as the editor of the bow hunting magazine for Eastman's. Oh, nice. And one of the first articles he ever edited was the first article I ever wrote. Oh, cool. And we became friends. And so every year as an editor, he had his, either of those go-to guys. And I was just one of his go-to guys. He knew I was going to have him an article every single year for like five years 
I would have a deer, elk, antelope all on public ground out west, and he could count on me for. So we became very good friends and have been for 20 years now. Nice. Um, so that's where a lot of folks would know me back in the day. And then I had a website called Wild Country Outdoors for a long time before there was any social media, mm. and I post all of my, all of my archery tournaments, all of my, what we, what we see as Facebook today, mm-hmm. I had this web guy and I, that poor guy I had just giving him updates constantly for articles, for video, for everything I was doing. This guy's putting all this stuff out there. Roger Medley, great friend of mine. And he hosted that website for me for like 10 years. And he would just oh, nice. put all that content up because I wasn't a web guy. I would just give him stuff and he'd put it out there. Yeah. I gave him some archery lessons and became a friend. It was kind of a he felt like he should do that for me because he was a web guy. I'm talking 2004 before there was any, even MySpace, I think. Hmm. And uh, he, I had a website and dabbled in video. I never had anything produced, but I shot a few hunts on video until um, a giant mule deer got away because of camera people. Yeah. And I just said, and I'm like, I'm not a camera. I dr- I would give everything. I would give all the art, all of that video stuff, and toss it in a river to have a shot at that buck. Right. So that's when I knew I'm not a video guy. I don't care about seeing it again. I just want the experience. And and I'm pretty much a solo guy. I just like going by myself, anyways. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. I did my first. I I I did my first. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, man. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. Go ahead. I was just gonna say I did my first like little solo like three day trip in the mountains this year here in Virginia, and. it was a good experience, but I don't think it's my favorite. So that's, I always have respect for guys that can go out for days on end alone. Yeah. Yeah. That's my, my, that's my preferred method. Unless I'm with my son and it's just a select few of my best friends, you know, deep, deep, deep friendships that I have with a couple of guys that are very like-minded, both from a, from a faith standpoint and from a hunting style standpoint, there's only like four or five other humans I even want to hunt with yeah. 90% of my hunting is you'll see I'm, I'm completely solo by myself, especially on the backcountry hunts. I just yeah. prefer to be by myself because then all the decision-making is mine. And I'm pretty selfish sure. when it comes to my time off. And I just want to go do things my way. Yeah. I don't want someone else's opinion. I want, if I get one, it's because of me. If I don't get one, it's because of me, but that's yeah. my time to go recharge the batteries and just spend time by myself. Yeah, man. Um, Absolutely. And I think, uh, your son was one of the ways we linked up. And also, I don't know, I started the podcast only about six or seven months ago and like right out the gate, someone was like, Oh man, you got to get Mark Smith on. And then I was at TAC this last weekend, just meeting some folks. And John from crispy was like, Oh man, you need to link up with Muley Slayer. So I was like, all right, that's it. I got to get this guy on the horn. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Cool, man. Yeah. No, that's, uh, yeah, my son had tagged me in, I think, a Facebook post that you had posted. No, my son shared your page on his Facebook. Yeah. And then he messaged me and says, man, you, you need to listen to this. This is right up your alley. Um, we're a faith-based family. Our, our family is strong in our faith. And, yeah. and uh, you know, we're all, you know, Christian home, my son, my daughter, everybody. So, uh when it comes to DIY hunting, it was fitness. It was uh, faith-based. Yeah. Travis, my son, keyed right in on that. And so I, right when he introduced me to you, I think I started following you. And you saw that I followed you. Then you came to me, and it just worked out. So, yeah, man. That's cool. And Yeah. Yeah, and so uh love to hear about your 2020 season. How was it? 
Yeah. Okay. So I only had one out of state. I try to at least have one mule deer hunt every year. I haven't killed an elk in um, 2012. This bull right here. Oh, nice. Uh, public land, Colorado bull. He's a little over 300 inches, but he's just a nice mature six point that Travis and I backpacked into a wilderness area, killed that bull. Nice. That's the last one I killed. And I've only been elk hunting one or two times since. And uh, only because I didn't draw a mule deer tag somewhere. <laughs> and I was, I was hunting because I love elk meat and I love shooting bulls. And I love it when they're talking, but um, it, they're not my absolute passion, not my favorite. They're a yeah. lot of work. And uh, where I hunt, I have an outfitter lined out that'll come in and pack them out for me. Uh, so I hike in like eight, I go in six to eight miles, kill them. And then uh, I go out and give GPS coordinates to that game bags. And this guy rides into his mules and throughout in the day, it's awesome. So I never lose nice. meat. Anyway, yeah. I, I, I um, that's my style of elk hunting is uh, I like, I love bivouacking, going in deep and just living with the elk for days till you get one. Yeah. Um, but I didn't have uh, an elk hunt last year. I didn't have uh, anything. I had one hunt and that was in Colorado out of state for mule deer. And I shot a nice, um, big mature uh would have been a just a three by three but he actually had an extra little point made him a three by four hmm. but he was like the deer was unageable when i took him in they checked hmm. his teeth he was they said he was beyond 11 years old unageable because oh his teeth were just in his gums yeah wow. so just a perfect big just old crusty old say, it's the yeah there are pictures of him in, on my instagram on muley slayer one that's my handle on instagram and there's been um I posted several pictures of him in the snow and he was just a beast of a deer, you know, nice, a, a true 300 pounder, just a big old bruiser, real heavy horns, uh, antlers, but you would, you would you just framing. You just, wow. Yeah. When he stepped out in the snow, I had my friend, Sean, I gave him first ride of refusal. It was his first hunt there. And, uh, he had not, he's only killed one other mule deer way back when we were kids in mm. the nineties, he killed a little fork and horn in Colorado with his bow. He wanted to come shoot a nice big buck. And I was going to give him first right of refusal. And when we saw it, I was like, man, you need to shoot that buck. And this hunt, we're hunting migrating deer. So they're on them from when you see them to when they're gone, they're moving down a river mm. and uh, you have to be pretty aggressive. And he had not done that style hunt before. And the buck had got past him three times in the mm. openings. And I made a little move and I could see the buck just before he went out of sight. And I was like, I told him, I'm not going to let this deer get past this dude. And I whacked him and nice, uh, I got him and I was proud of him. And Sean ended up shooting a nice 175 inch four-year-old four by four buck, nice. real nice 25 inch buck that he got mounted on a pedestal that it was, you know, it, it's, it is exactly the buck he went for. So I think he's actually happier. He got a higher scoring deer, but me, I'm just happier shooting that old buck. Yeah. Mountain, you know? yeah. But we went three archery for three. Hunt? No, it was a rifle hunt. Okay, cool. Cool, man. Yeah, he, he, it was Sean Dennison, Jeremy Duggar, which is my, another one of my very best friends. And uh, he's the one that taught me how to hunt mule deer. It was him, Sean, and I. And in three days, we killed three big mature bucks nice. on public land. Are you shooting so, your Weatherby? Oh, yeah. I only shoot my Weatherby. Nice. <laughs> yeah. which, which one you got? Uh, I have several, but my, my signature rifle, the one that is my mule deer hunting gun, is a Weatherby laser mark. Mark five, two fifty seven Weatherby mag that I've named Thor. Nice. <laughs> the, the God of thunder, that thing. <laughs> and it's just, a, it just, I've, I've shot, I got that rifle. They gifted that rifle to me in 2016 is when nice. I got on team Weatherby. 
I just got to be friends with Adam Weatherby at a hunting show. And then they just like adopted me into this. Like, I didn't even mean for it to happen. I'd been yeah. a Weatherby fan my whole life. Right. Yeah. Like I had, you brought up Weatherby. So I'm going to kind of tell you the story. Yeah, sure. They are, I know you had Adam and, um, and uh stealthy hunter on recently, which are Weatherby guys, you know, yeah. obviously. Oh, yeah. And, um, I just got in with them and we just immediately were kindred spirits. And I'd been a fan since I knew what Weatherby was. And I was on this writer program where they would send guns for me to test. And they sent me this Mark five deluxe and mm. I ultimately turned it into a laser mark. Cause that's what I always wanted. You know, the real pretty laser engraved stock. Yeah. And I got the stock from them later, but once I put it together and scoped it, made a hand load for it that it loves, it's just like a laser. Like it does not matter. It can be standing still running out to 500 yards. It's like magic. I just put the crosshair on and I shoot and the thing goes down. So that, awesome. that muley buck, I, I laid and shot with it. And Sean, they, I had all, they'd also gifted me a Badlands because I'm on team Badlands. I'm on their operative pro staff. So when Weatherby came out with the Badlands Vanguard, they sent mm. me one knowing, nice. Hey, this is right up Mark's alley. Yeah. So they give me this gun and well, Sean didn't have a good mule deer hunting gun. So I brought both of my two fifty sevens that I'd hand loaded for. And, uh, actually Jeremy hunts with a custom two fifty seven. So all three of us were hunting with two fifty seven Weatherby's. Well, Sean took his biggest, his only real big mule deer buck, his farthest shot. I want to say it was like, I want to say 385 or something, 385 yards, just putting the crosshairs on letting it rip. And he, he got it. And we're sitting there at the deer and it just, it just came over me. I just said, well, I hope you like your new rifle. Oh, I, nice, just gave him, I just gave him that one, you know, cause it's like, that's awesome. I have my gun that I'm always going to hunt right. with. It would just sit there anyway. Many, but I've got, I had, it's, it, you don't have extra guns, but I felt like I had an extra one, you know, yeah. and Sean's like, Oh man, you know, that's so awesome, man. we're going, we both drew New Mexico tags for 2021. Okay. And, it's that was my next question. Again. What was what's your twenty twenty one plan? Yeah, twenty twenty one. I drew New Mexico uh, with an outfitter friend of mine, nice. and uh, we're gonna go. We're gonna go DIY. We're gonna do a um, kind of a. Uh, it's gonna be like a, a drop camp where he he comes in with it for a couple of days and turns us loose, but it's in tracking country, which is my absolute favorite way to hunt mule deer. Awesome. We're gonna go track them down in the desert and kill a couple of dirty giants. Hope so. Anyway. <laughs> That's nice what man. Try to do. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I invested in a Weatherby this year myself, and uh, same thing. I've just always been a fan, and I was looking at like a Tika and some other guns, and I was like, man, if I get a Tika, I'm just always gonna want a Weatherby, and then I'm gonna end up buying one later anyway. So might as well yeah. just get one now. So, but I love that thing. But um, but yeah, man. Um, just shifting gears a little bit here. Um, you know, I heard I heard you talking one time on another podcast about you kind of had this infamous statement at one point about <laughs> how you didn't get the whole fitness and hunting thing because like you were just a something about you're just a country boy who likes elk steaks and <laughs> but yeah, then you uh, you went was, back on that and decided that, yeah you decided that uh, fitness was important. So I guess what kind of changed your mind there and then how did you how did you get into fitness and um what have been the fruits of that in your hunting career man it's a pretty cool story i'm glad you brought that up uh in 20 when i moved when i lived out west i stayed in pretty decent shape and in my job i was still in the field a lot um doing the actual field work of my day job before i had gone to completely into management 
and I'm, management is well, a middle-aged man going into management is horrible for your physique and for your overall health. Yeah. The stress, uh, stress kills your creativity. It kills your, uh, it just, it just kills everything manly about you. I, I, I don't know how else to explain it other than it just, it just robbed me of creativity and, mm. and, and, and anything to, uh, when you stop working, you just get soft, you know, you just get soft, yeah. even though you think you're not, you, you do. And, um, so I'd gotten into management in my forties out in Colorado. And then I come to Texas and, oh my gosh, when I got back to Texas. I was a full blown manager and they had water burgers on every corner <laughs> with sweet tea. Yeah. And I started drinking sweet tea and I blew up and I got like the fattest I ever got. And I got up to like 245 pounds. And that was nice. the most I ever weighed, like over 38 inch waist. It was just how tall are it was you? gross. Was that how tall are you? I'm six, two. Okay. Uh, yeah. I, I'm just at six and I was at 250 at one point. So I got you beat yeah, a little bit. It's just, you know, the feeling that <laughs> it's gross. You yeah. just grow. You feel just like feel like, and, and, and I just, I just, and I don't mean to be, derogatory but i just felt like a fat old lady too i didn't feel manly i didn't yeah. feel tough i had totally. no testosterone yeah and i just felt like ah anyway and i went on a backcountry hunt with some young young friends of mine team backcountry we went to a wilderness area in nevada and i was in that shape and i made it but they had to carry gear for me in and out and they yeah. helped me like they Corey carried my buck out and it was cool. And I got some pictures of my horns in my backpack, but it wasn't legit. Like it, I carried it a little while like that, but not the whole way like that. And that's not who I am. You know, everything about me is sincere, legit. What you see is what you get. Right. I don't pose for anything. I don't, I don't play. I get what you see is real. And I felt so sick at my stomach about some of that hunt. And then um, my grandkids, I have seven grandkids now. Our seventh nice. is on the way. But my, my father-in-law was here in 2015 for Father's Day. Like, I remember it to this day. Like, we're all sitting in the living room, and I had a Utah hunt that year. And my grandson patted my belly, you know, like patted on it or whatever. And my father-in-law is like, he goes, yeah, your grandpa ain't going to be able to go up in the mountains this year, mule deer hunting or whatever. Look at that belly on him. And man, he was just <laughs> teasing me, but it got yeah. to me. And I'm like, it's, it's now it's legitimized. Someone that I love just looked me in the eye and said, dude, you've gotten fat. And that's mm -hmm. just a fact. Right. And rather than let it hurt my feelings, I, it motivated me. And I started doing some research and I ordered a wilderness athlete um, kit to get Kickstarter, because I'd use their people don't know this, but back when Wilderness Athletes first started back in like 2006 or seven, mm -hmm. I was was me, Randy Ulmer, Cameron Haynes, and Bill Winky, and Trevin Stoltzwitz were the five original pro staff on Wilderness Athletes. Oh, nice. Reached out to us. So I was like hardcore back then. And then um, as they sold and other people bought them and they got diluted into something else, I, I stepped away from the business. They'd come up with a product I didn't agree with. And it was just all weird, you know, politic business stuff. So I went another way and I just, I didn't use their stuff anymore. Well, I, I knew some of the stuff worked great and I wanted it back and I wanted to kickstart my fitness. And I was talking about it on social media. I ordered the kit. I got started and Jordan over at Mountain Ops saw that. 
And you know Jordan Haberston uh, over at Mountain nah, Ops? I don't know. Okay, well, Jordan at Mountain Ops saw me talking about that. And Mountain Ops, I'm still a partner with them today. That's why I want to talk about it. Uh, the the supplements, not a commercial form, but this is part of the story. Yeah. They He said, hey, um, been a fan. I've read your stuff. I know who you are. I saw you at the Hunt Expo, blah, blah, blah. You know, I go out to the Hunt Expo in Salt Lake every year, do seminars on how to do yourself, you mm-hmm. know, mule deer hunting stuff. And I'd met him out there, I think, one time. Well, anyway, he sent me a bunch of stuff to try. And it really worked and it kickstart my it kickstarted my fitness. And I did now that we have so much stuff on social media, so many influencers and so much information. Right. I went and researched it and man, I went from 245 to 208 like that, man. Like I got nice. an, I got a gym membership. I hired a trainer. I got a trainer for six weeks. Um, I stayed on Mountain Ops and I went to the gym. I was going to the gym twice a day. I would, I had never been, I was never a runner, never a runner. Yeah. But we have a local 5K called the uh, Heroes of Midlothian for the firefighters, police, and ex military, former military here. Uh-huh. Every year around Memorial Day, we have a 5K for them and a friends across the street. They're big. Um, he's kind of a, um, he helps head it up, you know. And they invited me out one year. And so in in twenty in 2015, right before the fitness journey, right before I started getting in shape, I went and did that. I was going to do it just to see. So at 2.45, I ran it in 45 minutes of 5K. Wow. And I walked most of it, but yeah. I did it, right? Yeah. A year to the day later, I did it in 24 minutes. And I got second place in my age category. Nice, and I'm not man. even a runner, but I started running, you know, and I started doing it. Well, yeah. that's what I'm, I, I, I took the whole, you know, from Cam Haynes' motivational video. What if hunters looked at it as an athlete rather than just what the world thinks of Bubba hunters, right? You know, exactly. beer can guys, whatever. I think I heard on your initial podcast of what, what you, you know, what the hunting, the public thinks the hunter is right. This rifle hanging out the window of the pickup truck with a beer between his knees shooting stuff. Right. Well, I took that mentality, ramped it up, pushed myself to become a runner lifting. I mean, I, I had never in my life lifted more than my body weight bench press, even in high school. And I was benching Mm -hmm. 275, which is a lot, you know, going from zero to, yeah. working out. So in one year I got to bench press in 275. I ran 10 miles one day. I just took off and said, I'm going to run until I go 10 miles. I don't remember what the time was, but I ran 10 miles one day. Nice. I didn't walk one step of it. You know, and I just, I just started pushing myself. Well, when season came in 2015 in August, I had a hunt, a really tough hunt in Utah that I had drawn. Um, it was a unit. It's not a bow specific unit. Like a lot of the units that I had hunted in Utah that only had bow seasons. There was also gun hunts in this unit. So the deer densities were low, mm-hmm. uh, and the hunt was very steep and a, the hunter success in this unit is very low for archery. And I went and I had a job at the time where I could take a lot of time off mm-hmm. and I went and I stayed 15 days. Wow. I stayed on the mountain 15 days Dang! and I had to haul my own water and this was, and, and, and I got a buck and it was like the most glorious, one of my favorite bucks of all time. Um, had some of the most interesting conversations with the Lord on that hunt. I had some super highs, some super bad lows, 
really discovered a lot of stuff about myself in those 15 days. But in the end, I shot a buck that I'd seen three times. I watched another hunter miss him. Oh, I'd actually watched two other hunters miss that buck. And he was just an older four by three, but he was in a couple of articles I called Lucky Seven. He only had seven points, you know, being a four by three. So I called him Lucky Seven. Nice. And uh, But his luck ran out on day 15 and I <laughs> arrowed him. I just snuck up on him and I just yeah. dove off and went where him and some other bucks were into the deep, deep timber. And I just snuck right up on him and shot him. And yeah. like it, like 14 days, it was the hardest thing ever. And on the 15th day, I just walked up to him and shot him. It was crazy. Yeah. And then like, but, that would never would have happened if you were sitting there all pudgy at 245 still. No, I would have <laughs> given up. I was, yeah. yeah Cause I was already, st- I had learned to starve myself. So I didn't stay hungry all the time. Yeah. And so I didn't stay hungry all the time, you know? Um, but when I shot that buck, I knew that I got that buck 100% off of number 30 years of bow hunter savvy for sure. But because of my physical abilities to stay, to go further, to stay longer. Yeah. And then the next year I went back to Utah and went to a super high pressured area, the women, or not the women, but the uh, Wasatch area of Utah, one of the most popular areas right out of Salt Lake. Yeah. Super Super high deer density, but super high hunter density also. Mm-hmm. And you have to outsmart the people, not outsmart the deer. Hmm. And man, on day four, I got it done on another nice, big, mature four by three buck. And I was, again, I I say I got that deer because of fitness, because I got up at four in the morning in my underwear and hiked in the dark because I don't want to be all sweaty. Yeah. But I had, to, I had to beat other hunters to this spot. And I mm-hmm. did. I mean, I actually raced. I jogged with my pack on in my underwear, my boots, my headlamp, had <laughs> yeah. my clothes rolled up and I jogged in there and got set up at the crack of daylight. I could see headlamps coming up the mountain, people coming in to hunt for the day where I was already above them staying. I was sleeping up there. I wanted to be in front of them. Nice. And man, I arrowed that bucket like crack of daylight opening that first morning or the morning that I shot him. It was fourth day of season. But I shot him at the crack of daylight because he knew he could feed awesome. out on that bench until and when the sun's up. You know, he's looking at those headlamps coming up. He knew with the game, you know. Yeah. And they would go to this other spot in bed. Well, that night I'd seen other hunters on this other side. So I knew between those guys and those guys, I'm gonna have a window of like five minutes maybe to get this done. And I shot that buck. But again, nice. it was fitness. And so from that point on, my weight has fluctuated. It goes up and down. Uh having Having hardcore tags in my pocket definitely motivates me to train harder. Mm-hmm. And I don't have anything like that right now. So I'm just doing bare minimums. I'm just doing a little cardio and a little lifting around the yeah, house. But I'm maintain. not, I just don't let myself go anymore. And I yeah. absolutely limit the amount of cheeseburgers. <laughs> yeah, it's so important to have that goal, man, for sure. Yeah. That's what got me in shape or got me motivated was this ticket book to Alaska. And I was like, I know I got to get going. Well, that's cool, man. Well, yeah, I mean, you definitely want to maintain that base level, but once you've kind of made that huge shift in your lifestyle and lost all that weight, um, it becomes much easier. Like you said, just, it's kind of part of your thing and it's, you know, that point you just kind of can maintain and it's not as tough, but it is tough, you know, getting in gear for that, but that's awesome. You're able to do that, man. And, um, it just makes your whole, not just your hunting, but your whole life just so much better and more enjoyable. You just feel better about yourself and, and everything. Oh, Plus, yeah. you know, I talk a lot about, you know, people try to separate in their heads so much, um, you know, physical, mental, and spiritual health and wellness. 
when really they're so interconnected, you know, if, you know, if your if your body feels like garbage, no matter how much you're feeding your mind and spirit to some level, you're going to feel like garbage. So, and that's kind of what I wanted to get into next is, um, I know you're a man of faith and, and a believer and, you know, I've heard you mention it on different podcasts and stuff like that, but, um, I'd like to just kind of dive in there a little deeper on that. And, um, you know, did you get saved as a young man or do you have kind of a testimony or how, how'd you get saved? And then how, I yeah. guess, how does, how does faith play a role in your life now? And even, um, in, into your hunting and that kind of stuff? Well, it's, it's, it's really, really cool. Um, the summer I, I was, I had just, I my mom and my stepdad and my brother were all living in the Houston area and I grew up. I never wanted to leave the safety net of my great grandmother and my great aunt that raised me, but, but I was going to turn 12 that summer. And I knew I had been to church a few times and I knew who I always, I don't remember ever not knowing Christ hmm. from a little boy, just from, just from the few visits. I may have gotten saved very, very earlier than what I believe I got saved, but I, I always believed that Jesus was my Lord and Savior, and I believed in God, and I knew that the only way to heaven was through the Son. I, I, I knew that. like almost like I was born knowing that. I've known it so long, yeah. right? But I never acted on it. And so the summer I turned 12, I wanted to join with my brother. I was very close to my brother. He's gone now. He, he passed away at 42 years old. But he, when sorry, we were little kids, that. man, I just loved him, and, and I wanted to be with him. So I made a choice when I was 12 years old. I told my mother when I was visiting that summer, I said, I, I want to move here. I want to be a family. I want to be with you and Bill, my stepfather, salt of the earth. Love him. Good man. Mm-hmm. He made me the man I am today as a worker. He was just a hardworking guy. Good. He loved, he loves my mother like, like beyond belief, you know? So it's just good family unit. They were giving me my space to do what I wanted to do, but then, I chose to come live with them and I did. Well, that summer, they both worked. My mother worked retail. My father was a carpenter. My stepdad, he was a carpenter. And me and my brother were uh, at home alone. And the neighbors, they went to church a lot. They went to church uh, on Wednesdays, twice on Sundays. And they invited us to Bible camp one summer. Oh, cool. And my brother and I both, I was 12, my brother was nine. And we both accepted Christ at that summer camp. And my mom and dad were not churchgoers, you know, I mean, they are now. I'll lead into that later. But at the time, they weren't. They were they were at the honky tonk every Sunday, you know, okay. Friday, Saturday, just living that lifestyle. Well, at the time, my mother was scared to death of God. You know, she hmm. was scared to death. So she didn't even come to our baptism. So me and my brother load wow. up with the neighbors, go down to church. Knowing we're hey, we're saved, we're getting baptized. We got baptized. I come home and tell my mom, hey, me and Marty got baptized tonight. Oh, great, good for you, right? Studio, don't talk to me about it, whatever. And I'm not putting her down, it just was not in her wheelhouse at the time, right? But me and my brother, it was in our wheelhouse, and it, yeah. it's God just you know, I believe God rest, I believe God rescues some people, and I believe He protects some people. My brother and I, we were always protected where Mm. we weren't rescued from a bad situation, but we were always protected somehow from bad situations. And that's part of our testimony. It was always part of his testimony. It's always been a part of my testimony that just just having faith and believing 
that he's there, even through the worst times, you're going to come out okay. And it, me and him both just talked about that a lot as we grew up. Like, how did we get to where we're at? We'd always say that. Then we'd both at the same time say, by the grace of God, we just got to where we're at, you know. Yeah. But later in life, my mother, just in the recent years, she, um, when my brother passed away, um, he had an aneurysm uh, from high, he was 42 and he was, he had become an alcoholic and he had a serious drinking problem, but he Mm. was getting his life turned around and he was doing really good. And he had some teeth pulled and had some dental stuff going on, but he had high blood pressure and complications of high blood pressure. He had an aneurysm Mm. and he ended up in uh, on, and they brought him back to life. So he was on life support and the, Mm decision came we had to take him off of that right yeah that's tough and it's funny how god works because my mother i could see her anger and her her anger and her guilt and and i was like the only way my mother is going to get through that because he was my brother was her baby okay he was the baby and she she doted on him and she loved him and he was always with her like there was that separation for me up to 12 years old i wasn't there but Marty always was with my mom from day one. Right. And so when he passed away and he was passing away, I honestly, there were times I thought she was going to just die of a broken heart. I thought mm. she would just die. When they when they told us it was time to take him off support, the look on her face will be ingrained in my mind forever. I mean, this is deep, but I want you to understand. She, there was another person at the hospice facility where my brother ended up going, where he had, where they took him there to pass away. Hmm. There was another person passing away from the same thing. My brother passed away from the difference was my brother was not coherent. And there was another person there passing away the same way that was coherent. And the, the pleas and the, the groans and the moans and the holler and coming from that person was more than you could bear. And when my mother was at her angriest, I looked at her. I said, you have to understand, you may be really mad right now and really upset, but God is showing us grace because that could be Marty in that room, mm-hmm. but he's in that room. And that's grace. And my mother's changed right then. She was like, you're right. And it wasn't long after that, I, she came to visit me. We went to church and she got saved that day. She just said, I believe I'm going to heaven. I believe I'm going through Christ. And I believe everything you've ever told me is true. And I was like, it is true. And so I had got baptized when I was 12, but I went with her and rededicated and actually went out to the lake with her and went that me and her held hands and went under together. I was there with her. Oh, you don't cool, see man. that very often. So yeah, we got baptized. Cool. So mine was a rededication and hers was dedicating her life to Christ. And we, we dunked together, but nice man, that grace, that, 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 that thing about grace is what I'd always talked about. Me and Marty, God has shown grace in our lives when we should have had probably pretty bad things happen to us. You know, we were young men, young kids, even, even though we got baptized at 12, we still grew up. We oh, still were young men and we still <laughs> drank and we still yeah. ran around and we still partied and did things we weren't supposed to be doing. Right. But, but I think because we had come to Christ so early in our lives, we were those, we were chosen not to be delivered from something, but protected from something all mm. those years, you know? And so yeah. uh, I share that just so that people, it gives people hope. You have with faith and hope, you have to have hope, you know, like, Hey, totally. is there, is there any chance for me? Heck yeah. There's a chance for you. There's a chance for everybody. You just have to believe, you know? Yeah, and uh, anyway, 
<laughs> I wanted to share that story with you because that's very important to me. The hunting stuff is the hunting stuff, but there's a person behind all these heads. Yeah. There's a person behind all these posts. Every day is not a basket of roses for Muley Slayer. He still has a life. He still, but but because of the life I lead and the way I lead my family, I can tell you my troubles are few and far between because of the life that I live too. You know, I don't, the drugs and the, I never yeah, did man. drugs ever. I yeah. never in my life. However, my father died, my, my natural born father, he died at 58 years old. Hmm. He, he was, a, he, I think he could have been anything he wanted to be, but because of un, just some bad circumstances and choices, he ended up a heroin addict and, mm. and um, you know, he was hit by a car when he was seven years old. And I never really fully understood that. And I wish I would have shown him more grace growing up, but I didn't even understand that till I'm standing there trying to give him, give his eulogy at his funeral that I truly understood what his life might've been like from a, not looking at it from a kid that felt neglected, yeah. but, but from the neglect or, yeah. What was his life like? I should have shown more grace to him. I should have yeah. been more gracious in whatever he had going on. I've come to terms with all that now, of course. But grace is like the most powerful thing as a human being that you you that you possess or that you could possess that you could give to another human being. Yeah. Not gifts, not money, not your t just your grace and Hey man, somebody pulls out in front of you. You just got to love them, man. Every day we have so many opportunities to be angered or done wrong or felt like something didn't go your way. Yeah. But I'm telling you, man, the most important thing that I've learned now, I'm 50, you know, I'm to the center. I'm at the pivot point of my life. Every day, a gift, grace is a gift. And God shows us that every day. And yeah, then we, when we, when we learn, you know, they say, be Christ-like. If you want to be Christ-like, don't put on sandals, grow out your hair, walk around trying to be a nice guy. Just show people grace. Absolutely. And, and, Return and speak good the truth. For evil. Speak the truth. Yeah. So yeah. Heavy, heavy stuff, my friend. We're talking about heavy stuff. I know yeah. it's a hunting podcast, but hey, that's, that's, that's behind the scenes you wanted, right? That's the Absolutely, stuff you need man. to know. That's what we're about yeah. here. Going a little deeper. So, um, I don't know what kind of things you, would you say you've learned about about God or your relationship with God through hunting and through nature. I didn't kill a deer with a bow and arrow for ten years. I was thirteen years old, mm -hmm. mowed lawns, did side work, sold sold beer cans, picked peas. I did so much work. I was taught I was taught at a very young age how to make money, but I didn't learn what to do with money till much later in life. Yeah. But when I was young, I learned quick how to make honest money, honest days work, work hard, save up, buy the things you want. And one of the first things I bought, I went to a garage sale with my aunt when I was 12 and I bought the Archer's Bible. I still have it over here with Fred Bear on the cover. And I, nice. it just inspired me. I mean, I had cousins that bow hunted, but I looked up to older, older generation, but that book truly inspired me. And I just went to work. And I went and then I bought a, a compound bow, a black, a bare black mag, mag, magnesium riser, black, shiny compound bow. Back then you had to either paint it or put the little socks on them to camouflage them. <laughs> yeah. But man, I read Chuck Adams, everything Chuck Adams wrote, everything Fred Bear wrote, Howard Hill. I was just going through all, I go to the library and check out archery books. I just got like obsessed with archery at 12, 13 years old. And at 13, I bought my first or I bought my first archery stamp in 1983 
with my hunting license and I started bow hunting and I did not shoot a deer with a bow and arrow legitimately until I was 23 years old, wow. 10 full years. I got saved the summer before that. So I can almost say uh, my, my archery and my, and my salvation have gone hand in hand through faith this whole time. So if I had, I, there were times I wanted to give up. Like I, man, I can't, I missed deer. My bow was so loud and I shooting fingers with no sights, you know, I'd, I'd climb up and I have a deer stand. I'd yeah. pour a pile of corn on the ground and some oak trees and I would just shimmy up a tree with my bow tied to my back, climb up 30 <laughs> feet, a big giant oak tree and set on a limb and just wow. sit there and just kind of wrap my legs around the limb and just sit there on a deer walk by and shoot at it. And I missed, I don't know how many. And I was like, man, this is impossible. And I don't think I'll ever kill one. I don't, how am I ever going to even get this accomplished, especially with this bow? And because um, it was like, boing, 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 shoot, <laughs> yeah. it was loud. And just the arrows were going 130, 40 feet per second. The deer would just kind of walk off like I, they were almost embarrassed for me, I felt like. <laughs> but it was faith. I had faith that I would shoot one and someday I would get one shot. And opening day, 1993, I shot a spike. I missed a doe. I had a brand new, I bought a brand new setup. I had a PSC uh, Edge um 80 pounder with overdraw uh, mechanical broadheads I, I had everything with a movable side i had all this stuff 1993 so doe walks out open in the morning i missed it i don't even know i don't even remember how i missed it i was sitting down i pulled my face mask down i was set i nailed some boards in a uh, pecan tree and I was standing on those boards. And then when I missed the deer, I just sat down on the boards. My feet were dangling, my bows in my lap, my lips dragging the ground. It's already nine o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Sun's up. It's Texas. You know, it's 90 degrees. I pulled my face mask down and swat mosquitoes sitting there waiting mm -hmm. on my buddy. We were going to hunt till 10 a.m. And I looked, and here comes this deer walking through the woods. And it was just like, now who cares? I already missed one. I was deflated. Right. I drew back, put my side on it, shot. <laughs> Sounded like it hit it. It ran off. I was like, I don't know. You know, who knows? <laughs> I climbed down out of the tree, walk over there. My arrow was like purple end to end. I had shooting feathers and they were all glazed back. And I think I hit that thing. <laughs> I think I hit it and I didn't go very far. I could see its white butt laying in some pine trees. It was big old heavy corkscrewed spike, big old nice. mature deer with spikes. And, um, is it a whitetail or a mule deer? Yeah, whitetail buck here in East Texas. And nice. it changed my life. That changed my life forever. And Damn. so, and it also, I had faith. I sat back and I'm like, I had faith that that would happen. Just like I have faith from going to heaven. It's like yeah. I have faith every day, right? So those two things went hand in hand from day one almost for me. That's and cool. then um, one other story about, I'll share this with you. Uh, when I was about 32, as an adult, I had gotten as far away from church and from God as I was, I had ever gotten. I was just in a weird place in my life. And I was sitting in a tree going, man, what's the rest of my life going to look like? What is, I need, I just, I need to know I'm going the right direction. And I need to know that I'm making the right decisions for my family and for myself and where I'm going in this thing. I was sitting there and I just remember sitting in this deer stand in Kansas. And I said, God, I just need a sign. I just, 
I keep talking to you and I keep asking you, but I need to know what I'm doing is right and where mm-hmm. I'm headed is the, what I'm thinking is right. And at that exact moment, I heard something. And I looked, and the biggest whitetail I've ever killed, almost 150-inch, 10-point, ran out of the woods behind me, ran out the edge of this meadow, and I picked up my rattling horns, and I hit him, and he turned looked at the tree. I hung him up, and I grunted, and that deer came grunting to the base of the tree I was in. Mm. I shot him high. I dropped him with a spine, yet he was so close. And God, that was one of the most sincere prayers as an adult. I remember the, one of the first most sincere, you can pray, you know, you can say, Oh God, I want to kill a big buck today. Or God, right. I hope that buck I've been seeing on trail camera comes. I've given up on that. I don't do that no more. Yeah. I just, I get in the tree every morning and I say, Lord, show me what you want me to see today. There's a lesson. Just show me what that is. And I'm yeah. accept it, whether it's a big buck or if I fall out of this tree and break my neck, either way, I'm going to learn a lesson today. I want you to just show me what you want me to see. So Absolutely. I don't, you know, so many guys ask me, Hey, do you pray when you're hunting? Well, I, I ask, I bless every hunt every morning at sure. daylight or when I, you know, I climb in a tree and I just say, Lord, bless this day. Show me what you want me to see. But I don't say, God, send me a 10 pointer. Right. But that morning I, I didn't ask for anything other than give me a sign that everything's going to be okay. Nothing tells me everything's going to be okay more than 100. 50 inch 10 point land dead under my tree yeah that told me hey everything's gonna be just fine and you know what since that was um that was veterans day 2002 and every single day since then has been perfect nice except man. for the day my brother passed that's probably the only bad day i've ever had in my life be honest yeah. with you like and when you look at the in the world the whole world like people say i had a bad day nah now if you live in the united states of america yeah probably haven't ever had a bad day really, but your yeah. brother passed away or somebody like that. Yeah. That's a bad day. Right. Yeah. But since that day, I've only had one bad day, man. It's yeah, been pretty man. golden. Yeah. And that's something that comes with like maturity and your faith. I remember as a younger guy, like doing that, like just begging God, like to send me a deer. And probably that was the first time I prayed all week that week or something, you know, but then, <laughs> you know, but then, you know, you get more mature in your walk and stuff like that. And you just kind of, it comes like what you're saying earlier, that faith of just like, you know, God's a good father. He's got the right plan for me. I just trust that he's got things in control. And, you know, if a buck's going to walk by me today, it's going to walk by. If not, you know, he's got a better plan in mind or something. It's just having that faith that, you know, it's going to work out and you don't have to try to like force it and like beg God and pray and make things happen. And just kind of like, you kind of just go with the flow knowing he's a good father and he's got good stuff in store for you if you're walking with him, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You can almost want to will things into happening. And I was that way even mm-hmm. in recent years. And I just anymore. That causes way too much stress. I'm supposed yeah. to be enjoying that time in that tree. Right. You don't enjoy and now, it. Now I just get up in a tree. I listen to the wood ducks. I watch the squirrels. And when a good one comes out, I'm going to shoot. If it don't, I'm still going to have a good day. Yeah. You know, I am going to have a good day. And I just that's just no matter what, I'm just going to have a good day every day. And and when you think like that, and I, I, I have trail cameras running, you know, I have, I'm, my phone's dinging right now from some fence crossings where nice. I, I, I can, I know that my spy point sending me some pictures right now. And I have, I'm heavily armed on my property right now, trying to shoot some mature deer, but I have gotten to where I get, I just, you know, I, I get so caught up in, specific deer that two years ago i i was so set on shooting this one deer 
that I let deer that I would any other time have shot go trying to shoot that one. Mm-hmm. And then I shot one by, I shot the wrong deer. Mm-hmm. You've heard people say that I actually did. There was two 10 points that looked identical. One was a whole size bigger than the other. When he came down through the bottom chasing a doe, I thought it was a different deer and I shot him and I was all, I just kind of truck. I even got like chastised by the guys in camp a little bit. Like, man, that's not like you to act like that. Like you're kind of a punk, you know, like mm-hmm. you weren't smiling. Normally, when I kill a deer, man, I got it's celebration time. I've got music going down at the skin and shed. Yeah. I called everybody, texted everybody, comes around. We, I kind of snuck in, cleaned the deer, went home. I was mad because I'd shot the wrong deer and I uh. robbed myself of enjoying that. But my friend Wade, he he took the deer and boiled it down. It was a nice little ten point. She never have shot it. It's like a three year old ten pointer, but. He boiled it out. It's in my room. And I'm, now I love it. I'm proud of it. And I ate the deer, you know, but I put so much work and so much stock and so much time in shooting this one specific deer that I was too caught up in that. I didn't shoot. Yeah. I didn't enjoy the one that I got. I was still after that deer this past season in 2020. But this gigantic six point had a seven point. It was this big old six point that was six and a half years old. Mm. Chased a doe past my stand opening weekend of rifle season, I, I was going I was gonna bow hunt the whole season. I was trying to kill this old, old, old nine pointer with my bow, the one I'd been after. Mm-hmm. But this this deer ran past my stand. I ran down to the woods. I rattled, he came back and I shot him. I rattled him in and shot him as a six and a half year old mature seven pointer. And I was like, wow, I've never even seen this deer before. And I was super pumped about it. And then my friend Wade, last week of season, Wade's one of those guys that he drinks beer half of the weekend. He doesn't go out. He's a hardcore hunter. He's a good hunter, but yeah. he goes there also to chill out. Yeah. He has just as much fun. He enjoys the whole thing, right? Like right. he he doesn't key in on one deer. He keys in on having a good time. But, you know, he does drink some beers and he does sleep in every other Saturday. He doesn't even go out. seems like, sure enough, this year in the season, the last weekend of season, he goes, he I knew he was, he was sending me texts. He was killing hogs and having a good time Friday night. Slept in Saturday. Goes out Sunday morning. The deer that I've been after for three years just walks out and he shoots it. Like no effort whatsoever. And I have to be happy for him. Yeah. And I was like, I can't even imagine. I can't tell you how many prayers I prayed to shoot that deer. I can't tell you how many nights sleep I lost over that deer and I texted my friend, John Paul, and I said, can you believe that? And I, it, me, it was me, my friend, John. He's a great man of faith. And I've been friends with him since I was six years old. But I texted John and his son, Luke, and I'm like, can you believe this? I'm sick at my stomach. I don't remember all the things that I said, but I said something about that deer. And John wrote back very pointedly. He goes, my friend, I'm going to say this to you bluntly. That's a beautiful creature. And God created it. And, 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 you know, Wade shot it and I know you're down, but God wants you to want him as bad as you wanted that deer. You need to put your focus in the right spots and just let the things come at you. So it was just the best advice, right? Like he was, he knew I was in a dark place and I was really down. And the only way to get to me, he just went straight to the heart of me and he just said, Hey, how bad you wanted that deer is how bad God wants you to seek him. He wants you to want him like you wanted that. Put your focus in the right spot, Smitty. Okay, you're right. Yeah. I slapped myself yeah. around, and that's what I went. From that day on this year, 
I've been filling feeders when I get around to it. I go hang cameras when I get around to it. I was just like crazy going nuts, getting cameras out and keeping feeders going and all yeah. this stuff, trying to grow the right deer and I, I, all kinds of stuff. I'm just chilling out, man. Yeah. Now, you got to have balance. Like, I'm going to have balance. I'm going to just be like, wait, I'm not going to get drunk on Friday night. I'm going to enjoy the steaks. Yeah. I'm going to get up and go hunt. And when the one comes by, I'm going to shoot it. But I'm saying that is because I think as men, we get too caught up in spending money we don't have on things we don't need. Time is a commodity and you burn time that everything in your life requires its right amount of time. You know, the, the children, the wife, mm-hmm. your time with God, your time in church, your time in service, your time in serving, your time as an employer. And then you have this hunting. And as men, we can put all of that other stuff on back burners and put it all in honey and it'll burn you. It'll yeah. burn you because of the passion. You know, people try to justify it. Well, it's my passion. It's my life. I have so many friends that say hunting is their life. No, this is my life. No, it's not. It's part of your life. Yeah. Hunting is an important part of your life. It, it, that's what feeds you, makes you who you are as a hunting. It's not baseball cards. It's not motorcycles. It's not drag racing. It's not the, the things that other men, hunting is part of who you are. But don't ever say this is who I am because yeah. who you are is who you are to the father. And what are you doing to ensure he's the man he wants you to be? Hunting is a part of who you are, but hunting is not who you are. Yeah. And I, I used to be that guy. I used to I used to be the guy that I couldn't miss a tournament. I couldn't miss a hunt. I didn't I would skimp here or there to make sure if if the only person that wasn't getting cheated out of my time was me. I made sure I had all the time I needed for my archery tournament practice, for my hunts and all yeah. that. And man, I was a good father. I was a good husband, but man, there were a lot of times in my thirties, I backburnered a lot of important things because I thought that was important. And now at 50, hunting is still very important. And um, tournament archery is gone for, I don't do that anymore. I just don't have the eyes for it. I, I tried, but I just can't see those 12 rings like yeah. I used to. But um now I'm in a whole new era where I'm taking my grandson's honey. Yeah. And that tops take all this stuff. This is nothing compared to watching them shoot their first hogs. Yeah. And you know, hunting with me in stands. And oh my gosh, man. It's like yeah. that's a whole that's a whole new era that I'm digging more than anything, man. It's yeah, it's so important. Like it's definitely easy for guys like you and me to get unbalanced and uh you gotta you know sometimes your wife's got to check you sometimes you got to check yourself because you can definitely take something you love and make a noose out of it, you know, and then ruin it for yourself, ruin it for everybody, you know? Um, so that's why I always stress, you know, being intentional about, um, you know, taking care of your body, you know, taking care of your spirit, taking care of what you got to do with the family and hunting is a part of that, but you got to have that balance. So that was, that was really good stuff, man. Balance is so important. I'm glad we hit that spiritual stuff and the fitness side of things. Um, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't try to absorb a little bit of mule deer knowledge from the muley slayer. So <laughs> yeah, want to sure. change just a little bit of the, of the trajectory here. But, um, so I'm, you know, pretty experienced whitetail hunter, um, done some hunting in Alaska. Um, but I've never hunted mule deer yet. Um, so and this year it's not on the menu. So this year, like I said, I'm going to Kodiak in August and then I'll be leading a trip with my uh, family members out to Wyoming to hunt antelope. Um, 
So, you know, what would you say to a guy like me? And I, I have been already starting to build points pretty much everywhere I can out West. Um, but I'm at the beginning of that. Um, and you know, I got other species I want to get into too, you know, like elk and whatnot. But, um, so my mule deer is at least a 2022 thing, if not 2023. Um, so what are some stuff that I could, you know, be starting to do now or researching now or working on now for when that time does come? That's a good question. And I get that one a lot. Um, networking is one of the most important things, man. Mm. The trade doing trades. Uh, I've spoke on a few podcasts in recent years and I will say I'm a, I'm a prideful DIY guy. I like to do it myself. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe from a financial standpoint or just where I'm at in life, my patience, I, if I had knowing everything that I know, if I was going to, if I wasn't going to go with a friend, I would go with an outfitter on my first mm-hmm. hunt out West. If you've never been out West, you have no idea of what anything is from glassing or, you know, to where, what mule deer habitat is or how to find mule deer because finding a mule deer is much different than finding a white tail. Yeah. White tail. I can find a white tail on any property with sign. Yeah. And mule deer, if it's in rocky terrain and you can't even pick up tracks, they don't rub, they rub, but they don't rub territorially like a white tail does. They don't make scrapes. So with, with ground scrapes, tree rubs, and tracks and the where, where they bed and how they bed, man, it doesn't take you. You can go on a hundred acres and find a mature buck wherever he's living pretty quick. Yeah. Mule deer have a much larger span. You know, I think they still, I think they still probably summer in a square mile, or I think they said mule deer up to five miles where white tails a mile. But I think truly if they're not pressured, they'll summer in a five, in a one, one and a half, two mile square area. Mm-hmm. But you can spend a lot of time, you know, as a whitetail hunter, you can still hunt through a hundred acres, take you half the morning. If you're mule deer hunting or elk hunting, especially, you need to cover that in about 10 minutes. <laughs> you're going to be in a lot of deerless country. You're going to spend yeah. a lot of time slipping around in deerless country, especially elk. Um, but mule deer, uh, you, you have to kind of know the food sources. They live on the fringes. They're a fringe animal. So they don't live in the thickest stuff and they don't live out in the wide open. They'll move from the thickest to the wide open, but man, they hang in the fringe areas where the feed they're going to bed and live right around the feed. And that's antelope, bitter brush, mountain mahogany. That's one of their favorite foods. And so um, they'll bed out in the open aspens a lot of time up on top of a mountain or up the higher elevations but they'll, they usually feed up a bench. They'll, they'll bed a little lower on the mountain in the shade and they'll feed up on one bench up or two benches up. And that's so different than what you're used to with the white yeah. tails. It's the same thing. If you laid it down flat, it's, it's, it's little, it would look that way, but you, unless you know how to read a mountain, you won't know that until you mm. see it. Um, like my hunts I did specifically, I'm specifically known. I have two, I've killed mule deer in so many different scenarios, but I set out to hunt mule deer in two different terrains. And I usually hunt two states, if I'm being honest. I hunted Utah for a long time. I've hunted other states. But realistically, I either hunt early season Colorado or I hunt late season New Mexico or later season Colorado. So 
Colorado is my go-to archery spot, and I'm hunting above timberline out in the big willow basins. I like to get up high, glass, and I see deer all day long. Hmm. I see them. I find the one I want, and I make a move on it. When I pick up my rifle, my favorite is to go to New Mexico and go down in the, in the high desert in the northwest corner and hunt any of those units. I like to track them down. That buck, hmm. uh, there's a mule deer right there. That one it was like a 175, but that was in a third choice one of the hardest units you could ever hunt. And I killed him on the last light of the last day. And I cut his track and tracked him down and jumped him up, shot him on the nice. run. Shot him with a 270, whether it be actually, that was with a custom rifle. Nice. But um, back to your question, what advice do I have for you? Unless you're going to go and spend a lot of time. It, it, once you find deer, stick to that spot. One thing I will tell you where a lot of people are going to bounce around. I know some guys that bounce state to state, unit to unit, looking for the Holy Grail. Obviously, the harder places to draw are the best places to go. Sure. If you just want to hunt and learn mule deer, just get tags and go. And if you ever go to an area and you find deer and it was an easy tag to get, keep going there. Yeah. And try to kill a beer whenever time you go. But go to a spot anymore. Just getting the tags a miracle. Get the tag. <laughs> Go to the spot you find the deer in and hunt them till you shoot the one that you're after. Yeah. And and don't let the size of the animal determine the experience. And get, you know, if you shoot a two-point or dozer legal, whatever, shoot, shoot you one, get you one, then go find you a bigger one each time you go. Try to outdo yourself a little bit or just see what the mountain if the mountain's not showing you anything. If you've not seen a deer in five days, a forked horn looks really big on day five or six. <laughs> yeah. You know, but if you go out and you're just like, bucks are just little two and three points are all over the place then you know what look for a four point yeah if four and luckily i'm in the stage where four point. yeah yeah and luckily i'm in the stage where i'm really a meat hunter um i mean yeah. mainly that's what i do anyway even when i'm whitetail hunting i'm not not yeah. a huge trophy hunter or like i don't really get into hunting specific bucks i'm kind of like if there's a deer it's going to make me happy to shoot it i'm, I'm yeah. going to go for it man um, so that's good this Stay in that place as long as you can, man, because yeah. it's bliss, man. It is. Yeah. And and I, I do too. I I don't go after score. I don't. I go after experience. And yeah. and the older and fatter and grayer I get, that's how I want my bucks to look. I want them yeah. to be old pot belly, mature bucks. I don't care what they score. I just right. want them to be big, A mature, mature breeding bucks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because it's matching wits. Sure. It's after you mean you know. I get enough tags in Texas and I kill a hog 365 and I eat pork, I eat sausages, I, I eat all the hogs. I, most of the hogs I shoot, I eat a lot of them. But deer meat, I love whitetail. Mule deer is my favorite deer to eat. I love mule deer. I love whitetail. I like elk meat. But my freezer stays full because I kill five deer in Texas. Yeah. And then, the, and then I always get one mule deer. I end up having to give meat away. It's just me and my wife home now. We're empty nesters. Yeah. So I, I fill everybody else's freezers. So I don't, I'm not into the hunt for food only crowd. I'm not, I don't buy into all that. I like to shoot stuff. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not a harvester, you know, like yeah, I, don't, yeah. I had to, I had some of that edited. I had some words edited. I got into it with some editors one time because I said, I'm not, that's politically correctness. I don't like it. It's sissy. It's not like a sissy saying that word. I don't want to say it. I'm, yeah. I kill stuff. I hunt. I kill. Yeah. Animals kill. All animals kill. I'm killing stuff. I'm right. taking it. Got to water it down. But you have to. You, but we need to be a certain way. Well, was it gently parenting? No, I, I whooped my kids. 
My kids are all <laughs> God-fearing, hard-working Americans, and I whoop their butts. And I got my butt whipped, and we kill animals, and we eat them. Don't and spare the rod. Like to, sometimes I like to kill them just because I like, I like to be successful. I like to put arrows through animals. I like yeah. to shoot stuff with my guns. You know, I don't, I don't make any apologies for any of that stuff. I will be politically correct if it makes the room feel good, but just know me and you sitting here and people listening, Mark Smith kills the animals that he hunts. Mm. And, and I harvest that, the, the vegetables that I grow, Yeah, <laughs> but I kill the animals that I shoot. And that's Absolutely. just a fact. So if you edit that out, I'm gonna be mad. No, I'm not going to edit that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but yeah, I don't, you know, I'm not setting, I'm not the president of a rifle company. And I'm not the head engineer right. of a bow company. You're the mule guys have to, if, And if they have to say that stuff, I'm not putting them down for it. They have to say right. it. Um, but I wish they wouldn't. Yeah. I wish they wouldn't have to say it, you know, because the sure, world yeah. we live in. But anyway, um, so no politics. <laughs> real quick, just on a practical note there, since um, there's tons of great e-scouting tools and all that, and it's all great. But we all know the best way to scout is boots on the ground. So mm -hmm. this year for me, and maybe some other guys are like this too, I'll be out in, um, you know, East central Wyoming chasing antelope for five, six days. Um, are there any real quick practical tips for how I could be kind of simultaneously scouting a little bit for mule deer while I'm out yeah, there? Yeah, absolutely, man. Cause a mule deer, um, and a lot of those coolies and draws will have some, I think a lot of that country will have some of some even some lower aspen that grows along those creek bottoms and cottonwoods and stuff along the creek bottoms that are on the edges of where you're going to be hunting antelope keep an eye out and if you see the so creek bottoms are good yeah so in. while you're hunting antelope especially at prime time in the mornings and evenings take note and drop pins on your map where you see mule deer because if, if mule deer habitats is very um, specific so when you find mule deer in an area you're probably always going to find mule deer there. Yeah. Elk different. You see, don't go back to a place you've seen elk before. Generally, you can go find elk there, but yeah. they might be seven, eight, nine, ten miles away. Mule deer. If you if you're out hunting antelope, I absolutely would. Actually, that's a great point. In 1995, I went on my first elk hunt, and while I was elk hunting, I jumped up two big mule deer bucks in this draw, and I kept that in the back of my mind. Three years later, I went back there with a deer tag and jumped two big bucks on that same thing. Got he's hanging right there, a big one, big four nice. by three. So I took note of where I saw bucks. And then one day I had a deer tag to the area, went back there and nice. just like, it's almost like no time had elapsed in three years. I went back <laughs> to the same rock, walked to the same spot, and out of the same beds, deer came out and I shot. Uh, well, so what are the like, couple of those like uh, habitat? features to key in on that you were mentioning the specific habitat features that they like well like when when that's now i'm not i've not hunted wyoming okay. but i would look for little outcroppings um one of the things um the smallest ridge out on you could be looking out across a sage flat vast sage a sea of sage for miles as far as you can see and if you see a knob out there on it, it's got some cedars on it and you're like, there's no way a deer would live on, on that. And especially in New Mexico where we hunt, some of the biggest bucks that come out of that country are living on isolated little knobs out in the middle of nothing, little islands, because they know no one's going to go out there. If you look on my Instagram back a few posts back, I, it's me, Tim Bailey, and Jeremy Duggar, one of my best friends. He killed that big 223, non, you know, oh, that man. big buck. 
Yeah. That buck, we got one trail cam pick of that deer the week before season. That's the yeah. only way we knew that deer lived there on a pond. When you go to that pond, it is literally a mile to any rim rock around that pond in the middle of this thing. So by process of elimination, we went and did put a push deer drive on every rock outcropping within a mile of that water hole. The last place we went was a mile and a half from that water hole out to this giant vast sage sea. And there was this knob out there. It was about 40 acres. Just mm-hmm. one knob. I would guess it to be about 40 acres, a little high point. And I set guard on one end of it and Jeremy set guard on the other end of it. Tim went and got the wind at his back and he zigzagged across that thing. And that deer did not move until Tim was within spitting distance of him. That buck was going to lay on that knob knowing if he runs off of it, he's got to run across wide open 360, right? Yeah, okay. So he was going to lay there and let Tim walk right by him. But Tim actually walked right up on him within 20 yards of him. Mm. When he did, the buck jumped up and was J-hooking. He ran past, went out to the end, then turn was going to go back the way he came. He put enough distance between him and Tim that he was going to go back the way he came. Well, when he went across the way he came, what he failed to realize is Jeremy Duggar sitting over with the 257 Weatherby Magnum watching. Jeremy shot that deer on the run at 500 yards. Woo. It was like 498. That's that deer was flying, but he turned to go away. It was like 498 by rangefinder. So Jeremy's got a 27-inch barrel on his gun, and he's got that load going like 3,800, 3,850. So it's a zero to 500-yard gun. I mean, it's like three inches low at 500 yards, the way he's got it sighted in. That deer was going away from him, so it wasn't like it was starting. It wasn't bouncing. It was just flying straight away. Jeremy um, shot him in the right knee, took him down. He had to finish him off, but he got him. Nice. But but knowing knowing deer, like – especially old solitary mature bucks they like to go out and live they just want to go that's why they're a premium mountain lion food so mountain lions aren't just killing fawns and does and stuff mountain lions thrive on big mature bucks because big mature bucks are solitary animals they like to go live by themselves mm-hmm. and so a mountain lion knows that that's why you find so you watch if you're looking you go man why i wonder how that big buck died because he's solitary. He's by himself. That mountain yeah. lion's only got to beat his eyes, nose, and ears. Gotcha. And they know that. And so they live in solitary, and they almost get away with it a lot, right? But yeah. the mountain lions kill them doing that, and then so mm. do we. Because yeah. we we keyed in on don't go where all the deer are. Go to where – if you see a spot like that, you can almost identify it after you've done it a few times. You can be driving around looking glass and looking for deer – and you'll get a hunch. And me and Jeremy, we knew. Like yeah. we had by process of elimination, we have pushed every single inch of real estate that this buck should be in. This is the last spot we're going to. Is we almost had like goose, like we know we're fixing to see He's this in there. Deer. Yeah. And he we got him. And it was just like it was like glorious, man. Nice, it was, man. It was, it was a lot of it was a lot of luck, but there was some skill in it. But sure. Uh terrain awesome. features like that. Look. Go out of the way places that look like no one would go. Bucks yeah. know that. Go there. That's where okay. you're at. Cool, man. Well, um, running a little short on time here, but this has been awesome. But I want to, I got like a little like segment I want to try. I got three quick would you rather questions. Okay. All right. So, first one um, Would you rather 
bow hunt only for the rest of your life, but you can't hunt mule deer, or only rifle for the rest of your life and you can hunt mule deer? <laughs> That's tough, dude. How did you ever think of that? <laughs> trying to think about how to get I you love a tight spot. Rifle hunting mule deer, and I love bow hunting whitetails. So I'm only going to be able to draw a bow for so much longer. So I guess I just gun hunt the rest of my life. Okay. All right. Next one. Um, Oh, because I know you don't like cold weather. Would you rather hunt muleys only in cold weather or hunt all the coos deer and whitetail you want in heat? You have to pick one for the rest of your life. I can only go hunt mule deer in snow? Yeah. In cold weather? Or or whitetail and coos in hot weather? I'm just going to go hunt hot weather. Okay. Give up the muleys for the hot weather. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, last one, um, you can only shoot a recurve for the rest of your life or a crossbow. Which one are you taking? Recurve. Okay, cool, man. Well, cool, man. It's been awesome catching up with you, man. Um, learned a lot and uh, enjoyed getting to talk to you. I enjoyed it a lot too, man. I'm glad to have the platform to be able to talk about all the things that we talked about. Yeah, man. I'll have to get you back on. I mean, we, we only covered about a half the stuff I want to talk to, but I mean, that's all good. We'll, we'll save it for another episode and do another one here in a couple months or something. I'm good to go anytime you are, my friend. All right, man. Well, thanks again. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to the Hunter's Quest podcast, and make sure you stay up to date on social media at the hunter's quest on instagram and the hunter's quest podcast on facebook and we'll have all kinds of photos and videos from my day-to-day as well as stuff from the awesome guests we're having on here as always i'm more than happy to connect with you guys if you have questions about hunting or spiritual stuff or gear fitness whatever just drop me a line in my dms or you can email me at hunter at this is huntersquest.com If you like what you're hearing, please go ahead and hit the subscribe button and leave me a rating and a review. That's really helpful. And don't forget to share with your friends. So stay tuned. Lots of cool stuff in the works. And I'm really excited to continue this quest together.